This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, everyone. It's Blue Monday, and I'm here for a one-off special live show, plugging a gap in our schedule and talking into the ether. Well, I have a day off school, so I thought, why not? Why do I have a day off, I hear you cry? Who is covering my lessons? What is going on? Stay with me and find out. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning, welcome again to this one-off show on a Monday morning with me, Emma Williams, live on Teachers Talk Radio. Now, I'm going to be giving regular updates throughout the day because I feel it's a good illustration of what a teacher's life is like. Uh, But my emails are currently at 43 unread. Oh, no, just gone up to 46. There we go. 46 unread emails. Um, That's not bad, actually. I would have thought it would be higher by this time of the morning. Um, But don't worry, I'll keep you updated throughout the show. So why am I here? What am I doing? Why am I not in school? Well, our school is quite unusual. We have this thing called day 11. We have a two-week timetable, so we number the days 1 to 10. And day 11 happens around twice to three times a term. It's a bit vague. It's it's in flux at the moment, shall we say, especially since coming back uh, after lockdown. And day 11 is fundamentally an off-timetable day. So Students do not follow their usual timetable. The whole timetable is completely suspended. And the original idea, I believe, although there are various stories that circulate about how it came about, but the original idea was about keeping trips uh, on those days so that they didn't interrupt the curriculum. So they had certain days, students were off timetable, and that's when trips were meant to take place. In reality, of course, that never actually worked out. (laughs) And some trips still took place outside of day 11. Fundamentally, what it means is a lot of work. If I'm totally honest, a lot of PSHE happens on that day, but uh, on those days, but but not all of it, of course. Um, But pretty much anything goes on those days. All sorts of activities take place. Some of them over the years have been fantastic. Some of them maybe not so good. And um, like most things, it depends on how much time and energy you have. If I'm totally honest, they've never been my favourite part of the job in my current school, largely because I'm quite a control freak. Uh, I like to know exactly what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. I like to plan massively ahead uh, and I really don't like things being thrown at me at the last minute. And I don't like being taken out of my comfort zone in my job. So teaching a subject that I'm not familiar with to a group I'm not familiar with in a classroom I'm not familiar with is pretty much my worst nightmare. I always think it's a bit like supply teaching, but in your own school. So if I'm honest, I was never keen. And then after 18 or so years in the job, I started to wonder if there was any way that I could reduce stress, workload uh, in general. Now, As regular listeners will know, I'm a Latinist and I'm the only Latinist in my school. So I went to see the head teacher and talked around the concept of reducing my hours. And um, strangely enough, she was quite keen for me to go four days a week and cram my timetable into four days a week. But I said, well, that just means that I'm doing all the Latin teaching and getting paid less. Didn't sound like a particularly great deal to me. I don't have quite enough time, uh, Latin teaching for a 100% timetable. So I've always taught a little bit of English. And in fact, when I first joined the school, when Latin was quite small, I taught a lot of English. It was 50% of my timetable. And that gradually went down and down until ultimately it was just plugging gaps to make up my hours. 
And that was one of the first things that I decided could go. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, why not pay me at 90% and I just won't do those extra hours. So if you could just blank those out as freeze, that would be great. I'll take uh, take the pay hit. And also I proposed that I take day 11s as unpaid leave. My argument being we are generally overstaffed on those days for various reasons, particularly during summer when we uh, lose uh, year 11. Uh, and the pay hit I'd be taking would cover for supply in the uh, early day 11s during the autumn term if, if uh, an extra body was needed. And the head very kindly agreed. And the new head also uh, was happy with it. So it's a way of me just having the odd day out of school without my students losing out because they're not losing the Latin teacher because their timetable for today is suspended. So there's no Latin teaching going on. So hence, here I am halfway through January with a day off. And I have to say, this is one of the best ones. This is one of the best timed days that I can imagine because as I was discussing in my regular show on Saturday, I find January really hard. So it is really, really nice to just have a day off. It means I've got a four day week this week and it couldn't have come at a better time. Now, before you think I've just got the best deal on the planet and I'm not disagreeing with you, one disadvantage of the situation that I'm in is because I am the only Latinist, there is no way that I can go more part-time. I couldn't reduce uh, my timetable further without impacting on the little empire that I have built. So there is basically enough uh, teaching for 90% uh, of me doing Latin, and that fills my time. But twofold problem. I can't reduce my hours without impacting on the students and uh, the future role uh, for, for anybody joining the school when I leave, which will happen at some point. Uh, also, I can't increase my hours. I can't build on what I've got because then it would be too much. So I ca I'm capped at the number of students that I can take uh, beyond year seven. And that's quite a problem for the development of my subject overall. I have a plan, though. Uh, but it does all rest on me retiring. <laughs> so not ready to do that quite yet, but hopefully fairly soon. Now, uh, we've got lots of live listeners, which is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, if you are on a break, I, uh, that well done for sneaking into Teachers Talk Radio, taking a break, uh, or maybe you've got a day off like me. Fantastic. Lucky you. So this topic for today was all inspired by a thread on Twitter that I saw a day or two ago. So it's a thread that was started by a teacher who calls herself Miss Aid. And she shared a tweet, has anyone gone down to 0 0.8? Not because of childcare, illness, etc., but just because you want a better work-life balance. It's something I really want to ask, but unsure how I would justify this. Seems most who work part time do so for the above reasons. And she got a huge number of replies, including from me. So I replied to her, yeah, recommend it 100 uh, percent. I explained that I actually do school full time. So I do that. I mean, obviously, this is day 11, as I've explained. It's an extra day off. But in terms of my 90 percent timetable, so I'm on 0 0.9. I actually do full time in school. I'm there for all of the hours, but it means I get my certain freeze blanked out. So I get more than your average PPA allocation. Now, there have been one or two occasions when we've been desperate for cover in the last few weeks where I have actually been asked to help out in that slot. And you know what? I'm happy to do that because we're all we all need to help each other out at the moment. I know our school is trying desperately to get more supply and they're doing pretty well we're doing much better than um, a lot of schools but we're still struggling on occasion so um but most of the time those frees are protected and, and it just gives me sanity if i'm honest um and i think if you can survive on on the 80 or 90 percent i would highly recommend 
Now, there's obviously other ways of doing it. Not everybody does it the way I'm doing it. Most people actually like to take that time out. So Benjamin White replied to her, I sort of did it for a few years. I used the point two day to do interesting things, visit people, some writing projects, etc. It was a better balance and prompted me to put clearer limits on my main paid employment would recommend if it's viable. So I wonder if any of you have tried it or have considered trying it and actually taking that point two day out completely uh, in order to, frankly, do other things, you know, just, um, I think the four day week, there's a lot to be said for it. That's what I'm having this week. And yeah, I'm loving it. Mind you, it's only Monday. Now, this gave me pause for thought because Ali Youssef replied to her, I've heard it said that a part-time job is just a full-time role with a pay cut. I'm sure that's partially apocryphal. Just tread carefully and give yourself room for manoeuvre and a way back if it doesn't work out. Best of luck. Now, interesting. I certainly know more than one part-time member of staff who has said exactly that. And that was what I was worried about with uh, the head's original proposal, which is that I go 0.8, I do four days. And I knew that was wrong for me because I, I don't like full days. I, I, it's one of the toughest things in teaching. I think when you have a full day and the thought of a string of full days, one after the other, I, would, I felt I would just spend the fifth day recovering, frankly. I, I didn't feel it would help me out with my work-life balance um I prefer to just reduce stress and you know if surely if any of us were ahead and we had infinite budget it's the first thing you do wouldn't it first thing I've always said first thing I would do is cut the hours of every English teacher because having taught English boy do I feel your pain um the amount of marking that you have and the pressure that you're under by being that flagship subject, maths, English, maths, English, the whole school is judged on it uh, very publicly. And I think uh, that really, really takes its toll. So I am getting messages, but for some reason, finding them really hard to read because my screen's gone a bit funny. Uh, but Anika says, I've actually worked part time over the years in various roles. And in some cases, I agree as a senior lecturer uh, in teacher education. Uh, it just meant that my five days were crammed into three. Now, that's very interesting because one of my closest friends is doing exactly what you do, Anika. She is the, um, the classics lecturer at King's College um, training classics teachers. There aren't many places you could do it. And King's College is one of the two, uh, Cambridge being the other. And she says exactly that. She uh, feels hugely under pressure um, and is, you know, feels exactly that, that she is cramming full time hours into part time days and and taking the uh, pay cut as well. So that's really interesting. It's obviously a, a tough gig. So on the original Twitter thread that inspired this show. Let's look at a few more experiences that people um, have shared with Miss Aid. Um, Mrs. Cope says, I was 0 0.9, then 0 0.8 for four years. As a single childless woman, I felt guilty, but I needed it. I was so much happier having a day a week to do my adulting. <laughs> I love that. Leaving my weekend free. I also noticed I got ill less often. I didn't have any sick days when I was part time. Now, I, I, I think it's awful that she felt uh, guilty, as she puts it. I think guilt is a very unpleasant and unhelpful emotion for, for people to feel. And it's something I feel quite strongly about. I am also childless or child free, as I prefer to put it. It is a choice. Um, and Obviously, schools need to support people with families, but it's my view that schools need to support people full stop. Um, and I don't see that having a family takes uh, necessarily takes precedent over everything else. I've seen young teachers new to the profession, for example, put under huge pressure 
because the assumption seems to be, well, you know, you're you're young and single, you've got no family commitments, you know, you should take up the slack. And I don't think that's right. I think everybody, everybody is entitled to a work-life balance and nobody should have to justify their desire to work fewer hours. Uh, and of course, that's the original question that Miss Aid asked, because she was saying, you know, I, I don't, I'm not ill, I don't have uh, caring responsibilities. So basically, she was asking, am I allowed to ask this? And of course, absolutely, 100%, you are allowed. Um, Gwen Velope, who those of you that are familiar with Edu Twitter will, will know her, she says, I'm 0.7 and a bit. <laughs> I love her, I wonder how the school works that out. So 0.7 and a bit. And she says it's for work-life balance and mental health reasons. Still working on the work-life balance bit as the pandemic has completely undone a good work-life balance that I'd established pre-pandemic, which is interesting. I wonder how many people feel the same. Loads of replies, so many, this thread really, really um, took off. Um, another reply, Secondary Miss says, I did it just to feel like a mum and do the school run once a week. However, I did end up working all day. Interesting. Upside was I got my weekends back. It's not right, but it's the reality. I'm back to full time, but sat here marking now. So it's tempting to ask to return to point eight. So another person who feels that when they went down to point eight, they actually spent that fifth day, that point two day working. So in other words, fundamentally working five days and getting paid for four. It's not ideal, is it? Um, Mrs. Mo English said, I work with someone who is stuck with her 0 0.8 for exactly this reason. She goes for a lovely walk, etc., on her non-work day. And I don't think she'd ever go back up to full time. So yeah, a lot of people are having really uh, positive experiences, which is great. Certainly for me in the extra days I get, I don't think I'd want to go four days a week, every week, um, just yet, but maybe, maybe if I could, um, I might consider it. Um, but I can certainly uh, see, you know, see the impact it's having on some people. People I work with who work three or four days, I think they would all say that they do some work on their days out. I wonder if that's everyone else's experience. Um, and often they are rushing to finish something to get out because they, they're not going to be in on the next day. So in some ways I see it creating stress. Broadly, though, that is, I think, people with children and they're, they're generally rushing off at the end of the day because they're going to collect the child. And then, you know, that that puts that pressure on them. But I guess that would be there anyway. So Anika's messaged in saying, yes, I agree. Guilt and loyalty to students impacts the ability to truly work part time. I reduced to 0 0.5 last year. And one thing I had to ignore was the guilt of ignoring emails, etc. Now. Which reminds me, update, I'm now on uh, 48, yeah, hasn't gone up much. What time is it? Mm, okay, we're at, they're at break at the moment, so I may get a few during the break time slot. Looking forward to them coming in. Haven't read any of them, I hasten to add. Just keeping a tally. Um, yeah, so 46 and counting, 46 unread emails. Phil Wood said, um, I know a number of people from research I've done on time and work in schools who went from 0 0.8 to 0 0.6 and then worked full time just so that their weekends were free. Seemed they never actually reduced their work to fit into three or four days. So yet another person confirming how difficult that is. Sorry, just taking a gulp of coffee. Mustn't forget it's my day off. Um, Miss Della Fuente, I think that's pronounced, I started 0 0.8 a few years ago. I don't have children. It was either work four days or quit teaching. I still work on my day off, but the extra time to feel on top of things is great. That is absolutely the case for me. For me, the thing about the mental health, it's not, it's not having time off. It's feeling that you're doing your job really well. 
And I think that's what taking that small hit, that's the difference it's made to me. Because obviously we can all be a better teacher if we've got more frees. I mean, that, that's it's the golden ticket, isn't it? To be able to have more time to prepare, mark, plan. And I just feel like I'm really on top of my job. And that's, I feel, what's better for my mental health overall. Not necessarily taking time off, but being able to take my time in uh, in the planning. Really important, I think. Um, Mrs. Brew Tea and Cake, great handle. Why do you need to justify it beyond wanting a better balance? That's a totally justifiable reason. You're not a slave to norms and expectations. If you want a better balance, go for it. Yeah, good advice, good advice. Miss H says, I do 0.6 mornings only, and it's been amazing for my mental health. Still gets me up and out of the house in the mornings, but walking out of school at lunchtime every day is wonderful. Not for everyone, but has worked for me. Oh, and I don't have children of my own. That sounds awesome. If I could just do mornings, oh, yeah, that that would suit me down to the ground. Maybe one day I will get the opportunity. Sounds brilliant. Uh, Miss uh, Head Lizza says, I took a 0.8 job in my third year and used the day off to work. I didn't work weekends or evenings and my lessons were much better for it. Now, this is my experience. So, yes, I can't remember the last time I worked an evening or a weekend. I'm outing myself on that one. It just hasn't been necessary. Uh, and that's because I'm on that lighter timetable. So it it really does make all the difference. Um, some people, I haven't come across one yet, but when I looked at the thread originally, some people were replying in the thread that you shouldn't have to go part-time to make your job manageable. And, uh, and of course, I think they're right. I think that's true. And I think that work-life balance that we all need to achieve, if you're not achieving that in a full-time job, it, it is a worry for teachers generally. It is a big worry. Um, but I guess it's come. it comes down to uh, do you fight to change the world or do you just make things a little bit better for yourself given the way the world is because uh, I can't see things changing in a hurry. However, lots of people are... Um, battling on our behalf. So somebody that was mentioned in the thread, um, it's an organisation I've not come across yet, but I've now started following them on uh, Twitter, Flexible Teacher Talent. So it seems to be run by um, two people called Lucy and Lindsay, who say they're passionate about changing perception towards flexible working in schools and to help retain effective teachers and leaders. And I had a look at their website, seems to be particularly focused on the fact that teaching is, of course, a profession dominated by women and the fact that women often uh, need to go part time when they have children. So that seems to be their focus, but it does seem to be a really fantastic, um, looks like a not for profit organisation, I'm guessing you can donate. Um, and it looks like they support people in uh, asking their workplace for support going part time or at least having flexible hours. I have to say my current my current workplace, amazing. You know, I made these suggestions and they said, yeah, fine, you know, um, because they were able to accommodate me, they did. Whereas my previous school, no way, absolutely no way they would have considered it. I can guarantee you that. Um, maybe they would now. Obviously, I left 10 years ago. It's probably a very different place. It certainly has a different head. Um, but in my day, there was... You know, I know people who are who are with children who asked to go part time and were basically refused. Um, Anika has te texted in again to say, is the solution being in work five days a week with only a timetable for four days? That's what I do, Anika. Yeah, totally works for me. Well, not quite for four days, but four and a bit. And yeah, really, really works for me. Using the fifth day for staff planning, marking, pastoral support and so on. Yeah, it, it really works for me. Um, I would recommend. Okay, so who else have we got on that Twitter thread? 
let's get a few more views. So it looks like, by the way, that Miss A felt really supported in the responses she got and is actually going to, to try it in her asking for it in her school, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, various people saying they've got colleagues uh, that tried part time hours and again, used some of their some of their time off for work, but not necessarily all of it. Um, who's this? That handle uh, has disappeared off, but it's somebody who describes themselves as an anti-racist. Everyone I know who has done this uses their day off to catch up with work. I'm not sure why anyone would do that, to be honest. Well, it's 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 about my experiences, yeah, that you feel less stressed about your work. So we all know that in teaching, you're either teaching, busy teaching, doing that at the moment, and you can't do anything else at that time, or you're doing all the other stuff that you have to do. And it just takes the pressure off, releases that valve, because you've got more time to actually do all the extra things, the emailing, and the marking and the planning and all of that that is absolutely necessary and it means that you can do it better and it means that you don't have to do it in the evenings or on your weekends so we're going to take a break now we're going to go to the news hear from our sponsors uh, and uh, i assume there will be the tech briefing our regular tech update and uh, after that um, i will be back so don't go away Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Forestgate Community School in London has cut the working week to four and a half days, after Simon Elliott, who leads the Academy Trust, read a series of alarming reports on professional stress and burnout for teachers. The initiative is proving so successful that the school is now consulting on whether to reduce the week further to four days. Mr Elliott said, If you look at the amount of work teachers do, they do more than similar professions, and the workload is very high. I wanted to try and alleviate that pressure at a structural level. In order to achieve this, a 50-minute lesson was added on to the remaining weekdays. Tom Leather, a PE teacher, said, Knowing we're allowed to leave at 12.10 on Friday means that morale is better. Happier teachers work harder and produce better days. In Scotland, Teacher absences due to COVID are at the highest level since the start of the school session. Union leaders said current shortages were creating enormous pressure. The surge has been driven largely by self-isolation requirements, although some parents have also decided to keep youngsters away. 
The Education Secretary, Shirley Ann Somerville, told MSPs, Earlier on in the pandemic, we did, of course, put a call out via the General Teaching Council for retired teachers if they wanted to come back into the profession for some time. The uptake of that, I have to say, was exceptionally low. It is something that we are looking to do again. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week Steve has lost his voice. So I am going to take a look at visualizing in the classroom. Before I begin, this is not about which product is best and comparing brands and features. This is about what you need to consider to make the best choice for your school or department. Visualizing in the classroom, in my opinion, is getting something that would be difficult to see into a format that a whole class can see more easily. This may be a live moving image or a still image. Also, it may be projected onto a large screen or cast out to multiple devices. The whole idea is it makes something small more accessible. The list of devices that can do this is huge, but they fall, roughly, into three categories. Visualizers, document cams and webcams. What is the difference? In sport the definition of fitness is the ability to cope with the environment around you. When you are purchasing a device, this is what you need to consider. Don't just buy one because someone else uses it and says it's amazing. Their environment may be totally different to yours. The factors that are going to affect your purchase are cost, size, software, portability, features, and what you already have in terms of audiovisual equipment. Lighting is sometimes overlooked and depending on what you are capturing can make a huge difference. Starting with the most expensive option, the visualizer. Generally, classroom visualizers come with a large footprint meaning they take up a lot of desk space. They tend to have a high-quality downward-facing camera, lighting built-in top-down and even sometimes a backlit bed. They tend to allow control from the unit so there will be little or no need to move away from the device to operate. This may be useful if a lot of time is spent using the device or furniture obstructs movement. A lot of visualizers are also standalone, meaning they work independently of your computer. However, additional software can be installed to further augment the experience. Document cameras tend to be less expensive, have a smaller footprint and be more portable compared to visualizers. However, they usually have less features and need a computer to use them. Although they are plug and play, there is normally additional software available that will provide the ability to capture still and moving images, zoom in and out like a visualizer, but normally control is via the computer it is attached to. Generally, they do not feature built-in lighting, but tend to have a built-in microphone. The cheapest option, the webcam is plug and play and may have additional software. However, the previous devices are designed for projecting something desk-based to an audience. The webcam is designed to work in a different way, but can be more versatile, especially if you move rooms frequently. You need a computer to plug it into. Some come with flexible arms and a base you can plug it into, but like the document cam, they are restricted by the length of the USB cable. Now we have an idea of what the devices are capable of. The next question is what do you already have? Do you have an interactive board? If so, imaging a pupil's book with a cheaper webcam and using pinch zoom and annotation may do the job. Or in a bright setting, an HD webcam may do the trick. In the past, the rule was the higher the price, the better quality of image. Today, that isn't necessarily so. My conclusion is before you spend out, do your research and consider the fitness of the device for your environment and your value for money. And please talk to your school technical support before you purchase anything. Sometimes devices are not compatible with school networks. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods' screen reader, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Error in drive D, abort, retry or cancel. Yeah, we're not quite there yet, are we? Um, I don't know if that was meant to be quite as rapid as it was. Maybe it was to squeeze it into the two minutes. Um, Amazing, though. Mind you, the comparison between screen readers, between the way they are now and where they were previously, it's amazing. So I'm quite sure that in a few years' time, uh, we'll all be out of a job. Now, let's talk about finances. So how it is that I have managed uh, when going semi-part-time. So going to 0.9, reducing my salary. Um, But what I've done is, because the the particular reason I wanted to reduce my hours is because the 100, to get up to 100%, I had to teach outside of my specialism. And I realised that that was putting a disproportionate amount of time and stress on me, especially, uh-huh. well, I was but just about to say, especially because my second subject was English. And I do think English is a really tough gig. Uh, I've taught GCSE over the years. There was When I first joined the school, I had two GCSE groups, a bottom set. That was interesting, having come from a high-achieving grammar school, I can tell you. Uh, I did get 
two of them sees one of my proudest moments. Um, a bottom set, and I also had a set two. And a lot of people tell you that is one of the toughest gigs because large group and real pressure on that CD borderline as it used to be. You know, huge pressure to get every single one of them above that line. Um, so I, I, I think that was really tough. And I felt that I it was yeah, creating a disproportionate amount of stress. But the reason I laughed is much as that was stressful and challenging, it was even worse when they got me to teach RE. Now, um, I'd never taught RE before, have absolutely no training in it. And as a control freak, I'm not particularly comfortable with the whole hey kids, let's just have a discussion and a debate debate type thing. Hugely important and go and see a good RE teacher doing it and you will be blown away. It's amazing. I value it hugely. I'm just not very good at it. And yeah, it's a nightmare uh, from that point of view, but also a nightmare because I, they said RE, I thought, oh, yeah, well, okay, fine. You know, I'm sure I can turn my hand to that. And immediately started thinking, well, I went to a very traditional church school. We'd had, we had divinity in my school. We had chapel every day and I had divinity, uh, scripture. So I thought, yeah, totally fine. And uh, then they told me that I was teaching Islam. Um, so I thought, okay, right. Uh, um, I better, better do some reading then. I learned a lot. Uh, I now have a a basic understanding of what the five pillars are and all the rest of it. But oh, believe you me, um, it was tough. So I just felt, you know, the amount that was just, I think it was just one hour a week, but the number of hours I had to spend just to make myself feel that I was even borderline capable of running that hour was ridiculous. So that that's when I felt, what am I doing here? What am, what am I doing? And also, what is the school doing? Because fundamentally, they were getting a raw deal. The kids were getting a raw deal. I was rubbish, frankly, because um, I didn't know what I was doing. And this is the problem in secondary schools when you're asked to teach outside of your subject specialism. The kids genuinely are getting a raw deal. Now, with English, maybe less so. At least I did English A-level and... I don't know how much listeners will know about the subject of classics, but you have to study Greek and Latin texts as a piece of literature. So you have absolutely have transferable skills. You know, you, we, we are taught how to analyse a text and how to assess it as a piece of literature. So actually teaching English literature, which is mainly what I was asked to do, really wasn't a problem it, it was something I felt I was skilled up to do um all I had to do was familiarize myself with with the curriculum but that would be true even if I was a, a trained English specialist you can still arrive at your school and 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 they can say okay you're teaching this and you've you've not read it you know that's just life isn't it so for example um at my previous school I had taught um what's it called uh, Lord of the Flies. How can I forget that? It's like, you know, every teacher's worst nightmare in terms of what can happen in the in the classroom. Lord of the Flies. Uh, and then when I came to my current school, they taught like the vast majority of schools of mice and men uh, at the time. And to my shame, I'd never read it. So I spent the summer holiday mugging up and preparing. That's fine. But I know what to do with a text. I know how to read it. I know how to teach a text. I know how to look at an extract and say something vaguely intelligent about it. So those skills are transferable. But to be thrown into RE, where it's all about um, taking a hypothesis and debating it, I had, I had absolutely no experience in that and had studiously avoided doing it in my, in my training and in my job uh, because I'm a Latin teacher. I've never actually, except in my training year, never actually taught classical civilization, where at least that would be a little bit more um, close to uh, what you do in RE, because you have to discuss, respond to, uh, to a piece of art, for example. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm a grammar teacher. You know, I spend my, my hours talking about the ablative absolute and the, the subjunctive. So yeah, discussion, debate, not my thing. So 
it's all about being forced to teach outside your subject specialism. And I decided I'd had enough. But of course, that means taking a pay hit. Now, what I did, um, especially because at the time my husband was retraining, doing something quite expensive, which we won't go into. Um, and really, we needed the money. So I made up the shortfall through private tutoring. Like most teachers, I'd done a little bit on and off when I was first starting out. You know, when you've got uh, absolutely no money, uh, most of us do that. Um, but yeah, I, I went back to it and um, the money's good, by the way. And I think Seb on Thursday is doing a show about private tutoring. Uh, so listen out for that. Um, and yes, it was quite important to me. I became a member of the Tutors Association. I'm now actually sitting on the board of directors. Uh, and yeah, I would highly recommend. And it means that you're doing what you're good at. And I felt, you know, what? I'd rather spend the time I'd rather spend the time teaching my own subject. Yes, I've got to source my own clients, but actually I didn't find that was a problem. In fact, I'm still, you know, I'm turning them down now. Um, yeah, and, and I felt, you know what, I'm spending my time in my subject specialism, doing what I'm good at, not being thrown out of my comfort zone in front of a class teaching something I've got no idea about. And for me, it worked out really well. Now, somebody on this Twitter thread has quite rightly pointed out, it's not just about the pay hit, it's about the pension hit. And that is, of course, the elephant in the room. Really, really difficult. The elephant in the room is if you take a pay hit, of course, it has an impact on your pension. Now, you can, of course, make extra contributions. So if you are making up the shortfall of your salary by tutoring, you can then choose to put some of that money into your pension and make up the shortfall. That's all perfectly doable. And of course, the teacher's pension scheme is so brilliant. You can go online and you can actually have a look. How, you know, how much of an impact is this going to have on my pension? And you can decide whether or not it's worth it for you. Yeah, and, and really, I would say that it's definitely worth investigating, even if you don't decide to go decide to go ahead with it. At least, you know, you've taken a look. So I think those, you know, the, the pay hit and the impact on your pension is potentially something that you can get past. So other advice generally, if you're going to make up that shortfall through tutoring, um, if you are going to earn more than I believe it's about 4,000 a year through tutoring, which is surprisingly easy to do. Um, you know, a few hours a week, you know, and, you, and you'll get there if you're charging what you should be charging as an experienced and qualified teacher. Uh, in my opinion, that's a whole other debate. Um, you will need to do a tax return. Um, but that's, it's really easy. You know, it sounds big and scary, but it it really isn't too bad. All you need to be doing is sim simply keeping a spreadsheet that logs your hours. So it, very simple. And there are loads of templates online. That's what I did. I found an online template by um, an accountant who said, you know, everyone worries about this, but it really isn't difficult. You just keep a list of the hours, you know, a person's name, how many hours in that month. And it's a spreadsheet that tots it all up for you. And that gives you your final figure at the end of the financial year. And then all you've got to do is do a tax ret return declaring that extra income. Uh, and there we go. And then just wait for them to send you the bill, which is the less fun bit of the whole thing. You have to be careful, actually, frankly, not to do too much. If you're like me and you've been in teaching for quite some time, um, and therefore your salary has sort of gone up to the the ceiling that it will reach um, and then you do tutoring on top of that you can quite easily end up flipping over into the higher tax bracket and end up paying everything in you know 40 percent tax which frankly makes the hours the extra hours tutoring not worth it so you've got to watch out for that one uh, and i i learned the hard way uh, you've got to keep it to a sensible amount so that you don't get totally hit on taxes um, because you know, then you're just 
you're just wasting your time with the tutoring to be totally honest so more people from this fantastic thread um emma dimbleby says i worked four days for quite a few years the downside was that i had 100 percent responsibility for a class that i only taught for four days ha now this is a whole other thing of course that i haven't addressed yet the difference between primary and secondary i wonder if it's harder for that reason to go part-time in primary or i wonder if there are more opportunities available uh, in the sense that you could maybe do a job share not sure interesting i don't know um certainly in secondary um we have obviously a big and complex and cumbersome timetable that's the other thing so sometimes i mean our school works incredibly hard to try and accommodate people but sometimes um you know it might not be possible to get you exactly the times that you want in and out of school it can be really hard for secondary schools to to get that right but our, our guys do an amazing job i'm, I'm actually often stunned uh, by how well how well they manage to fit the timetable around all of us uh so um melanie bellamy what a great name she says i taught throughout lockdown five days a week six hours a day with no lunch break with lots of students who resented being in school instead of at home. Ah, sounds like she was uh, looking after the key worker students. Bits were lovely, but overall it was impossible to have a work-life balance. Now I'm on 0 0.8. I go sea swimming on Mondays. Wow, I assume you don't live in Woking like me. Um, <laughs> how wonderful. That whole uh, opportunities to do amazing things with your time off does all hang on where you live, doesn't it? Um, I mean, I could nip into London, but I don't. Well, I certainly can't go sea swimming. Um, Jules, the teacher, says, I did when my two were little. Uh, I started working just periods one to four. So sounds like she's got a five period day like I do in a secondary school uh, and finishes uh, after period four. Now, our school has allowed or accommodated that for more than one member of staff. But again, do you know what? Um, I think that's a tough one because I've actually seen that cause more stress than I think it might be worth. And I think from what I've seen, the teachers that have asked for that are doing it because of childcare responsibilities, because they want to be there for their children. I wouldn't say it reduces stress. I really wouldn't. Um, I just think it's because they're pulled in all directions and have, and have those caring commitments. So yeah. I think that's a tough one, really, really tough. Um, so uh, Zoe Laura says, I know people who dropped down and found it to be more part-time, uh, so more time and impacting more heavily on workload balance and the timetable means that the hours were completely messed up. Uh, <laughs> changing her language there, resulting in still needing to get childcare every day, but at different times. So again, it's about it's about juggling, isn't it? Some people have so many varied responsibilities that they're juggling, and all the focus is always on childcare. But of course, lots of people have other caring responsibilities as well, not just for children, might be for elderly parents or other dependent friends or relatives and I think schools are perhaps less accommodating less understanding if your commitment is to is to other people requiring your time so more people who've given it a go I've gone full time to two days to three days to point nine as children grew yeah I know uh, that's familiar to me uh, lots of my colleagues have done that she says, um, this is somebody who calls themselves Quill Sniffer. Interesting. Uh, she says she's now full time again. Uh, when point nine, she was in every day, but asked for freeze period one and five when possible for the school run. Yeah, again, so those commitments, um, caring responsibilities means that you're sort of concertinaing your day into the middle. But again, as I say, that often means dashing off uh, and and it being more stressful rather than what I enjoy, which is spare time to think about my lessons. 
Uh, Jen Barnes says, my daughter returned from maternity leave to work four days a week and has Wednesdays at home with the little one on the head teacher's suggestion to break up the week. Wow, that's lovely. Um, yes, I know a lot of people who feel that the Wednesday off is the best deal. Oh, people often go for either Monday or Friday to create a four day uh, week and a three day weekend. But actually, I think kind of breaking up your week into two, two days, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. So you, you only ever have to get through two days, <laughs> which, um, yeah, I, I can certainly see the appeal certainly in that one certainly the uh, rare occasions where we've gone back on a thursday it has happened occasionally and you've only had to get through thursday and friday and then it's the weekend yeah that's that's been pretty good so i can certainly see the appeal there uh, mrs king said i worked 0 0.6 and found it a great balance when my kids were little got asked to come back full time but agreed to 0 0.8 good for you Unfortunately, felt like I was working full time for 0 0.8 pay. Now full time again. Definitely miss the 0 0.6. Do you know what? It's really interesting. I think it is. It does seem to be people who are on 0 0.8 that feel the most that they are working full time somehow for less pay. It really does seem to be that's the point that, that people struggle to keep their, their work life balance manageable, which is really interesting. Mrs K says, as a trainee, I currently have Wednesdays off as part of my programme and it makes everything so much more manageable. Once I'm teaching, as soon as I can afford to go 0 0.8, I'm doing it. You wouldn't have to just, you shouldn't have to justify this to anyone. Absolutely. I feel really strongly uh, that, that nobody should be feeling that they have to make excuses for themselves. You know, everyone is entitled to a work-life balance. So Nika's texted in, uh, I have to say, these stories are the reasons why, despite the challenges it can bring, moving from teaching in school to teaching in higher education has been much better for flexibility. After having my little one, I went back to work from 9am till 2pm, so no lunch, then did the remainder of work after 6pm when the baby was asleep. I mean, I, do, I don't know how people do it. I mean, I say child free by choice and I mean I very much am I, I really didn't think parenthood was for me but also frankly I just don't know how people do it I don't know how they do it I don't know how they fit it all in um I can barely sort my own life out um and my husband's life out never mind a child as well uh hats off absolutely hats off to the people who who managed to do so so I thought as I am here for this one-off show um I would take full advantage of that and um, plug what I'm doing on Saturday. I mean, why not? Because I'm here and I can, um, and I'm very excited about it. I'm going to be interviewing Ryan Wilson, um, who is author of a book that's just come out, published by Penguin called Let That Be A Lesson, which is fantastic. I just finished reading it yesterday and Ryan himself describes his book as a celebration of teachers. He says, teaching is the most fun, noble, rewarding thing you can do. It's full of funny stories, but the job is also tough, frustrating and undervalued. I hope this book offers a realistic view of the work. And he likens it to This Is Going To Hurt, which is a book written about the life of a student doctor. Um, this is the his book. He wants to be that book for the classroom. So I thought I would whet your appetite. I have um, Ryan on the show um, next week. Although, although like pretty much every one of my guests that I managed to get on the show, he is moving house that weekend. I don't know what it is about the guests that I get, but I always seem to get people who suggest a date and then go, oh, but by the way, I'm moving house that day. Okay. Um, so you can only give me uh, the first sort of uh, half of the show and he's very kindly uh, given me permission to share clips from the audiobook which he has read himself and he, he reads it beautifully so I thought I'd give you a little bit of a flavour of the book to whet your appetite um, for what you're going to hear uh, next Saturday. So here is a little tiny um, excerpt of Ryan reading from his own book 
and then I'll say more about it afterwards. I have a child called Patrick in my year nine class. He invariably sits with his head on his desk, yawns every few minutes, and has rarely, if ever, produced anything resembling homework. I'm worried that he's not learning, and he's not going to be ready for the GCSE course next year. I'd bite the bullet and call home. Here's how the conversation goes. Hello there. My name is Ryan Wilson, and I'm calling from Patrick's school. I'm his English teacher. It's just that I've noticed Patrick seems to be tired a lot of the time. He's quite lethargic. He seems to struggle to do his homework, and sometimes it feels like he's even falling asleep in class. I wanted to see if we could have a chat about that. Oh, tell me about it. It does our heads in too. I'll tell you what the problem is, Mr. Wilson. He sits up most of the night and plays his Xbox. We sometimes go in there and find him playing it at three or four in the morning. Oh, really? Well, that's pretty clearly at the root of the problem then. Yes, it is. And I've had a chat with him about it. The thing is, we have a brilliant relationship. We're like best friends. We can talk about anything. Well, it's good that he feels he can talk to you. What did he say? He just explained how much he loves his video games. They really bring him so much pleasure. He's very good at them, you know. I'm sure. It's just that it's really having a negative effect on his schoolwork. This morning he could barely lift his head off the desk. Oh, bless him. He does stay up too late playing them. Do you think maybe we could try taking the Xbox off him for a period and seeing how that affects things? Oh, I don't think so. He wouldn't like that at all. And so the conversation descends into a farcical spiral where we agree that a problem exists and agree on its cause, but the parent won't commit to a possible solution because the child might not like it. This desire a minority of parents have to be best friends with their offspring is one I confess to finding a little odd. Your best friend, surely, is Dave, who you go to the pub with on Fridays, or Lisa, who you were at college with and still see every week at aerobics. The idea that you could be best friends with your 12-year-old son has to be misguided. You wouldn't tell Dave that he was having no more beer unless he apologised for his behaviour, or Lisa that she wouldn't be seeing her sweatband again until she saw the error of her ways. But you sure as hell should tell Patrick that he's not having his Xbox back until he learns to control his use of it. It's a trend I notice from time to time in teachers too, the desire to be mates with their students. But in my experience, children hate it when you try to be pally. In fact, they'd much rather have a very strict teacher than a friend. They like boundaries, they like knowing where they stand, and yes, they even secretly like being told they can't do something when they know deep down it's in their own interest not to do it. So lovely extract there from a chapter which uh, Ryan calls Not Your Friend. So one of the lovely things about the book is it's divided into chapters that aren't numbered. They're just given a little title and his book reads, some of it's quite sad actually. Well, I'll discuss that more in the show where when I interview Ryan. Um, but it, it, it reads like a series of anecdotes, some of them quite painful, some of them really funny. Uh, and it, it, I highly recommend it. It's a really great read. So I'm really excited about interviewing Ryan next week in the middle of him moving house. Honestly, I don't know what it is about my guests and moving house. So I'm going to close the show. It's been wonderful to do a little extra and only an hour. Tell you what, the difference between an hour and an hour and a half it's, uh, feels quite short. I'm barely getting going. But it's time to close the show. This afternoon, uh, uh, oh, we don't have anything this afternoon, but we've got Emily at eight o'clock with the late show. And then uh, Tom, Tom Rogers with the late, late show at 10 o'clock. I don't know how he does it. I'll be asleep by then, Tom. I'll have to catch up with it. Um, because there's no way I'm going to make that live. You're obviously a night owl. So, um, as promised, final email update. The latest count is 67. 67 unread emails uh, by 12 o'clock. It's actually quite a slow email day. Um, I've had days where it could be well over 100 by this point, but there we go. That's my final update. So, it's been a real pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you uh, again at my usual time, 11 o'clock, on Saturday. Until then, take care. See you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.